Please stand and give your attention to God's word. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up to him on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, dear. Did you guys catch the way Joni blew past some of those pronunciations? Did you, who, did you ask Paul about, but, but, oh, you Googled it. So Google had the proper pronunciation. Oh, that's really great. That's, I didn't know you could do that. Thank you for reading, Joni. You know, if you want to read scripture in the coming weeks, go back and see Diane. We need scripture readers. Uh, people who, who uh, are excited about that. Real quickly, if you don't know much about the Word of God, let me tell you what we believe as a church about God's Word. We believe that it's inerrant and infallible as it was originally given. So we believe it's the Word of God. One of the reasons we stand when we read the Word of God is not because we worship the Word of God, but because we respect God's Word. And so we stand because we believe when it's read, God is actually speaking to us. And so we, we want to take the Word of God seriously. We also believe that, that His Word never returns void. The fact that you're sitting here, what God promises is that you'll walk in one way and you'll leave another way. You'll leave transformed. And so I really would encourage you to submit yourself to the regular hearing and preaching of the Word of God. That's why we encourage church attendance. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this uh, passage. One of the things I love about Mark, you guys, is what you see, it, Mark is like a mag light. And here's what I mean. It's a beam. And then it, over, the, over, the, uh, over the chapters that Mark writes, he gets the beam tighter and tighter and tighter into focus, almost to a laser beam, if you will. And what you'll see here is Jesus is like a laser beam in his focus. And the reason I think that is so important is we're in a culture that's so darn distracting. And so we need to have something out front that really calls us forward and really helps us focus, whether you're younger or you're older. In other words, you need to have a purpose larger than yourself that causes you to really focus yourself, to move towards it with all that you are and all that you have. 
And that's what you'll see with the Lord Jesus. He really moves forward because he is so focused. So let's jump right in. Look at verses 7 through 10 first. There are crowds everywhere. So Jesus is drawing a crowd, and the reason he is, he's healing people, he's casting out demons. Needless to say, that people are pressing in around him all around. And then he turns to his disciples. He's being crushed, really, by this crowd. It's probably 10,000 people. He's being crushed by this crowd, and he turns to a couple of his guys and says, Hey, listen, grab this boat and push it out in the water. I may need it. Now, there are a couple of things going on first. The reason he asks for the boat is that he's really got a priority in mind, really the focus of why he came. And it was not to bring healing. It was not to cast out demons, as important as those things are. His priority was to preach the gospel. Listen to what one author says about that. The gospel is like a caged lion, said the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Today, the cage that is our accommodation to the secular sacred split that reduces Christianity to a matter of personal belief. Men and women, do you realize Christianity was never meant to be privatized? Christianity... The gospel that Jesus brought was meant to transform the world, and it will. The kingdom of God will prevail. The gates of hell will not overcome it. It will not be privatized. It will not be caged. It is a lion. To unlock the cage, we need to become, listen to this, to unlock the cage, we need to become utterly convinced that, as Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity is not merely religious truth. It is total truth, truth about the whole of reality. Those of you in the room who are not Christians, listen carefully to this. I believe that Christianity it will, make more, will make the best sense of your life experience. I believe it makes the most sense of what's going on in the world. There is mystery. But if you look at Christianity carefully, it is a worldview that brings together and really talks about the most difficult issues in the world and the solutions. And that's why it's so important that we understand that Christianity is not meant to be privatized. Jesus came to reconcile the world to the living world. God. I was just told minutes ago that there was a 24-year-old Belmont student that was murdered in the last couple of weeks over here in the nations. What, why do things like that happen by a 12 or 13-year-old? Why do things like that happen? Ultimately, the Bible says it's because the world is not reconciled to the living God. And there's brokenness in the world. And when we are not reconciled to the living God, we will never be fully reconciled to each other. That's what Scripture says. And so we as followers of the Lord Jesus are charged with the message that Jesus preached, which is the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. Now, if you go back to Mark chapter 2, if you were here last week, let me tell you a quick story. If you're not, I'll remind you or, or tell you this story. There were four men who had a friend, and he was paralyzed. Jesus was preaching in a house. They were so desperate to get their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus to be healed that they couldn't get through the door. The place was packed. And so they literally got up on the roof and tore their way through the roof, not their home, 
through the roof to lower the guy in. Can you imagine as they're tearing their way through the roof, suddenly this crowd of people stops as dust is falling, dust and mud and sticks are falling all over him. It's getting all over Jesus and everybody. And finally, Jesus says, you know, we really need to stop here. And everybody looks up. And then this guy comes down on this mat. And he's paralyzed. And he's laid right in front of Jesus. The room freezes, and here's what Jesus does. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, let me ask you, how would you feel? I would, I've got to tell you, if I were the guys up top or more of the paralytic, I would have been severely disappointed. I didn't come for forgiveness. I came for a healing. I don't think he was thinking about forgiveness. But let me boldly say, Jesus always knows the greater good. And the greater good here is the forgiveness of sins. Reconciliation with the living God. Now, a moment later, he said, So you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He looked at the paralytic and said, Get up, grab your mat, and the mat you came in on, you carry out on your shoulder. Go. And the guy got up, and he walked right out. Why did he do that? He came to heal. But first, our relationship with the living God, because that is our greatest problem. The reason we don't get along with each other is because we're not connected with God. And let me tell you why. When we turned away from the living God, every single one of us human beings found life centered on self. And if I'm selfish and you're selfish, you and I can never be companions. We can only be competitors. Trying to get from other people what we think we have to have in order to maintain our own sovereign will. What Jesus said is your sins are forgiven. Simply enthroning God in place of self. And only Jesus can do that. And he knew that that was the priority that humanity needed. Not to denigrate the healing that he brought because he did bring healing. But physical healings, the exercise of demons, those kinds of things were really not his main purpose, although important to him, and that's why he did it. Because he wanted to show that when you enter the kingdom of God and your sins are forgiven by faith in Jesus, that ultimately when Jesus comes again, not only... Will you experience relationship with a God face to face? But you will be made whole. I want to say something to all the doctors in the room and all the pastors in the room. We're going to be unemployed in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to have to be doing something else. No more root canals. Praise God. <laughs> Danny does root, did root canals <laughs> and no more sermons well if you, there's going to be a sermon I'd encourage you go hear Jesus you know <laughs> there won't be any other churches there'll just be one can you imagine he will make everything whole in fact Revelation chapter 21 says and the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations and Burundi will be able to support every person there with all he or she wants to eat. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we have to look forward to. All through faith in Jesus. 
He came to give us a foretaste of that, but to accomplish the greater good. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish. You'll have your sins forgiven. That's what he came to do. And so the crowds, they wanted a healing. And what happened is they realized that if Jesus wasn't able to touch them for healing, they'd touch him. And so they crushed in on him. So Jesus said to the guys, get me a boat because he could get on the boat, step back, and really preach. And so the preaching of the word and reconciliation with God was absolutely essential. Now, I do want you to see this. And it's interesting. The deed he did in healing in Mark 2 was to validate so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The deeds he did did validate the message he proclaimed. And it's the same with the follower of Jesus. Perhaps some of you in the room have rejected Christianity based on what you've seen Jesus' followers do. I want to say this to you boldly. Jesus did not ask you to follow his followers. He asked you to follow him. Please, get to know Jesus. And make your decision on Jesus' words and his deeds and see if they match up. You guys, when I was in seminary, I drove a church van. And all over the van was God, 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 you know? And so it was obvious that the driver had something to do with God. Except by his driving. In fact, I rolled that sucker. Put it out of its misery in a rainstorm one time. It, totally, I was not being a juvenile uh, about it. But, but it, it's funny because my deeds, my driving sometimes did not match up to the name on the van. And I want to say this to all of us in the room. And if you've chosen to reject Christianity because of a Christian, please know this. That none of us live consistent with Jesus And that's why he came to save. We're all hypocrites, including you. Jesus came to save hypocrites. Because he wasn't. His word and his deed matched perfectly. And that's why he could save us. And he preached that gospel of reconciliation. Now, he had a plan in his preaching. Look at verses 11 through 12. So some impure spirits saw him, and they fell down before him. So these impure spirits were basically evil spirits or demons who were inhabiting people. And so some people who were demonized were falling down and saying, You're the Son of God. You're the Son of God. And Jesus was very stern with them and said, Be quiet. Now, here's what's just so funny about that. Jesus is trying to control the narrative, the disclosure of the narrative. He doesn't want the word to get out too quickly. But this is funny to me because Jesus heals, uh, you know, he just healed, he healed the paralytic. And now he's trying to control the, the news about him. But really what he's trying to do is he knows word is getting out about him. The crowds are getting larger and larger. But he, he, he needs time. Because he's working an unfolding plan, and that's really, really key to see. And his plan is simply this. His plan is to prepare his followers to carry on his mission after he is gone. Now, do you know how well he did? You're sitting here as a result of his plan. 
And guess what? You and I are part of his unfolding plan for the future. We've got the next generation that some are sitting in this room. And just as you may be a follower of Christ, so you're called to make followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus did. Because it's a part of his plan. And that plan is simply this. An intimacy with God. You can walk with God. It's all through faith in Christ. Child, your sins are forgiven. It is a privilege and a responsibility. Listen to what one author said. There comes a time in a person's life where he or she has got to break away from a comfortable life, from an apathetic life, from a self-serving life, and head off into the unknown with God. This is a vital part of our journey, and if we balk here, the journey ends. The only way to live the adventure of following Jesus Christ with all its danger and unpredictability and immensely high stakes is an ongoing intimate relationship with him. There it is. You guys, I want you to hear something really carefully. So many people ask me, what's the purpose of this church? This is not going to be novel to you, okay? The purpose of this church is to help every person in this room who hears me speaking this morning Know that your sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And as you rest in Christ, his spirit indwells you and will transform you over your lifetime to become like Christ when you stand with him in forever. That you will be indistinguishable from him. My purpose as a pastor is to help you know the one who will take you safely home. And to help you help someone else. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the unfolding plan. And so what does Jesus do next? Look at verses 13 through 15. He looks for reliable people to do this. Now, It starts out 13. Jesus went up on the mountainside. I love this. He went up on the mountainside. This is my justification. I was just talking with Eric about going to Colorado, okay? Going out west. You you know, you've got to climb mountains. I love climbing mountains. One of the reasons I love to climb mountains is they're so high. You can see forever. If you've ever stood on a 14er out in Colorado, you know exactly what I mean. You literally can see for 150 or 200 miles. There's no better view, not even in an airplane. It's just gorgeous. What you can really experience up there is you're all alone. And there's quiet. And there's the Lord. And look what Jesus did. He went up on the mountainside. And do you know what he did? He was going for wisdom and guidance. Y'all, I just want to say this really boldly. I am never. I want you to hear me from this pulpit. I am never going to get into an autonomous car. Are you? Are you? Can you? It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's cr- I'm not getting into something I can't scream at when it's going to hit something. I'm not doing it. That is absolutely nuts. I have a friend who owned a parking company, and he was telling me, autonomous cars are the wave of the future. Well, I can tell you, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be dead and gone before it comes. Why? I want to be in control. And the last thing a person who wants to be in control wants to do is to ask God what God wants. 
Now, let me tell you why I warn you. I am in a room of very competent people. Gosh, you people are great-looking people. You're dressed well. You look well. You have good teeth. And it's all about a quarter of an inch thick because there are an awful lot of us in this room who are hurting. Because men and women, I want to tell you, we don't drive the car well, not on our own. And Jesus went on the mountainside because he sought wisdom and guidance, and he wants us to, too. He really does. And why did he seek guidance? Because he was looking for reliable people to train up. Notice, he called those he wanted. And when he calls you to follow him, here's, listen carefully to this. Don't waste your life. If you're always in control, you're going to take that car as far as you can go. Men and women, do you realize a life surrendered to Jesus Christ is not a wasted life? It's a supernatural life. And now to him who's able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine, do you want to be in the master's hand, shaped as a work of his grace and mercy? Because he can make you that which you cannot make yourself. He can do in you and through you that which you cannot do yourself. And it calls for surrender. It calls for rest. It calls for faith. Reliable people. 1 Timothy 2.2 says this. A man named Paul is talking to one of the people that he is training to follow Jesus. And all the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What's a reliable person? Who's a reliable person? You know, the first thing I thought of a reliable person was, was a Boy Scout. We used to do Boy Scouts. And when you think of a Boy Scout, don't you think of somebody reliable, Okay. And don't we want to be reliable people? You think about somebody who's reliable, they're, they have integrity, they have uh, character, they follow through, they're people of their word, reliable people. But do you know who truly reliable people are? Truly reliable people rely on something. And my question for everybody in this room is, what or who are you relying on? Are you relying on your job to validate you? Do you live and die by a PL statement? Does it just kill you when you hear somebody else say something bad about you through a third party? Do you react in anger? Because that which you rely on, my reputation, has been threatened. Jesus is looking for reliable people, people who rely on him who rest in him and who ask him, take my life and let it be, Lord, consecrated to thee. Do with my life whatever you would do. Those of you who are younger, I want you to listen to me. Five, six, seven teenagers, I want you to listen carefully to me. Don't wait. I wasted my teenage years. I wasted them. Living like an idiot. Using everybody around me that would possibly let me use them. Please, for God's sake, don't waste your life.
Let me tell you how you not waste your life. You give it to Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you give your life to Jesus, He will rock you to the core in the most exciting way. You may not be the most popular, but man, will your life be powerful. Because the power is not your own. That goes for those of us who are older too. Long as we're breathing. Long as we're breathing. Jesus is looking for reliable people because he wants to take your life and take it far beyond anything you could ever, ever do with it. Now, when you come to Christ, you'll end up a person transformed. Look at 16 through 19 in closing. So these are the 12 that Jesus appointed. I want to focus on Simon, who was named Peter. Now, let me tell you something about the Bible if you're not familiar with it. In the Bible, people are renamed. They receive new names according to what God's going to do in their lives or through their lives, promises God makes to them, okay? And so sometimes God would give them a new name to make a statement, hey, I'm at work and I'm going to do something incredible. Let me give you an example. There's a man named Abram. God made incredible promises to Abram, and he said, your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And then he renamed him Abraham, the plural. To say, this is what God's going to do. Same with, with uh, Peter, uh, Simon. See, he renamed Simon Peter. And when he renamed Simon, Simon Peter, Peter means rock. And then Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock was Peter's faith in Jesus. That was the rock, his faith in Jesus. Because Peter had just professed faith in Jesus. On this rock of your faith. You shall be called Peter. So he renamed him. Paul was renamed. Uh, he was Saul. He was na- renamed Paul to say that he would be going to the Gentiles. And Paul was the, uh, uh, the, the Greek name, if you will, of Saul. And so Peter, uh, uh, Simon was renamed Peter because God had promised to transform him. And Jesus was doing the, just that. And how was, how was, how was Peter's life transformed just let me tell you this and settle in your seats and then I'll tell you a story and we'll be done. Here's how his life was transformed. Y'all, can I tell you a funny story to set this up? Let me tell you real quick. <laughs> I've still got two minutes and 44 seconds in case you have not noticed that clock up there, okay? That is like a choker chain on a pastor. <laughs> so let me quick tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to burn it all. When I do a sermon, uh, I do a, a wedding, I've got the groom and the bride right in front of me. And if I'm going to do your wedding, you may hear this again. (laughs) You probably will, sister. Don't tell me I can't. (laughs) Anyway, so the groom and the bride are right there. And I'll look at the groom and I'll say, look at your bride. And he's just beside himself. Every groom is beside himself. Why? Because every bride on her wedding day is the most beautiful woman in the world. It's just true. Just like every baby is the most beautiful baby in the world on the day of their birth. And so I'd say, guys, look at your bride. Is she not gorgeous? And he just goo-goo-eyed over her and lets her know it, and everybody laughs. And then I say, just pause for a second, and then I say, this is one of her better days. (laughs) 
That's, I've gotten a lot of good mileage out of that line. When you're in my line of work, you're looking for lines because you've got to wake people up. Why do I tell you this story? I'm trying to keep you awake. <laughs> Jesus loved Peter on his worst day. When Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus refused to turn his back. When Peter turned his back on Jesus, Jesus simply went to the cross and died for his denial. That'll change you, won't it? When you're loved that much, that'll change you.